I was praying, and I, <laughs> I got over here. I don't know if you saw that. Um, good thing I didn't keep praying. I probably would have went out the door. Well, it's good to be here with you guys uh, today. You can think about what I'm doing right now. It's kind of a, a pre-conference message. We have a conference coming up. Um, Friday and Saturday has been, has been announced already. And we, uh, we just want to invite you. I'd love to see our church be a part of this. This is our conference. This is Crosspoint's conference. We're going to do it annually. Um, it's, it's not a Zoom conference. It's live. And uh, no matter what's going on out there, we will still have a conference here, okay? So sign up for that just so we, we can get a, uh, a head count. Somebody, somebody's hollering over there. Oh, kids, you get to stay with me today in the service. I'm just kidding. You guys can go. Good job. Man, they're disappointed. They were disappointed, all of them. Is it that bad? I mean, you guys would say, right? You can always tell, I remember my father-in-law, when I first had to do a, a graveside service, um, he used to tell me that pay attention to the kids and what they're, what they're doing because they think out loud. <laughs> so the questions that they're asking, other people are thinking those, those questions, thinking about those questions, so I don't know what to think about them looking disappointed at me, but that's okay. But no, I just want to encourage you guys uh, to sign up, and at this point, Crosspoint's in a good position. If, if you, uh, it is $45 per person, and if you're not able to, um, to, to get that cost, just email me or email someone in the office this week. At this point, we just want to know that you're coming so that we can get an idea of how much food we need to get, okay? So that's a blessing, you guys, to be able to be in a place that's saying we're going to do this conference, and it's not dependent upon numbers. It's just, just faithfulness. So I encourage you to do that this week. We've kind of shut things down this week except for the youth group. Um, so if you can be here, be here. That'd be awesome. This morning I want to talk to you about this, this title, Living Between the Already and Not Yet. There's no one that talks more clearly about this than the Apostle Peter. And man, did he have a reason to talk about this. You know, I, as, I, as I sit back and I survey what's going on in America specifically in our area, California, um, I'm having to process this just as you are. And I'm, I'm really, really, really trying to keep my focus in on the main thing. And I think that's what Peter had to do. So I encourage you this morning, if you've been listening to, to Ricky Lake or, uh, or Dr. Phil or any of these people, they have no authority whatsoever. We need to tune in to the Apostle Paul, our Peter, this morning and see what he has to say about life and godliness and how to live in between these realities. So Peter, just to give you kind of the backdrop, okay? So when we think about persecution in Redding, California, in America, here's what I want you to keep in mind. When Peter's writing right now, he is under a ruler that is no doubt evil. It's Nero. And he has a, he has a desire to build. He wants to tear down and build. That's, that's what he's doing. He's doing this in the area of Rome, so he's burning places. He's burning places. But we know, living in Redding, California, right, that people on the ground, some of you have lost houses, right? So when you, when you lose a house, you can't forget about the people on the ground, this burning project that you have with the greater agenda of making Rome awesome. 
now you're going to get pushback from the people. And the people are being pushed to a point of who's starting these fires? Who's starting these fires? Right? So the people are getting fired up. So let me just stop right there. That's kind of the bigger backdrop of what's going on. So Nero, at this point, knows that this new sect called Christianity is not liked. Okay? So they become the perfect scapegoat for him to be able to say, hey, I know who's starting the fires. Christians are starting the fires. Okay? So there's the circumstance that you're facing. Okay? Try to put yourselves in their shoes. Here's what I want you to pay attention to for today. Note what Peter does not tell them to do. Okay? He doesn't say, here's the goal, Christian. We need to take down the emperor. We need to do that right now. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, all our gatherings are going to take place for the purpose of getting this knucklehead out of here. He doesn't say that either. In fact, when he speaks on it, clearly, he says to pray. To pray. To pray for those people. When he speaks about it clearly, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's going to come in the form of what we're going to look at today. What's he going to say to them? What would you say to them if you're writing to them? And some of you would say, do this. Some of you would say, do this. But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is get you to focus in on what Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to these people, because that's what we should be concerned about. So let me read the text this morning. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 to 9. So, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So here's the big picture reality. Whenever you're talking to somebody in a, in a discipleship type situation, I encourage all of Crosspoint Church to be about that, discipling others. Here's one thing that you want to keep in mind as they tell you their story. Timeline. Timeline is extremely important to a story, okay? And sometimes it takes a few, few meetings to actually get the whole timeline and what's going on. Peter does the same thing here with his people. There is a timeline. I don't know if you saw it. Let me draw it out a little bit. First and foremost, he talks about the already. The already of what? Well, the already of salvation. Peter is talking to Christians who have been born again to the living hope. 
Number two, the second timeline is after that reality of salvation comes this in-between reality, and that's called the not yet. I mean, this is the not yet, it's summation. The in-between reality is actually the next one. I got ahead of myself. That's sanctification. So here's the beautiful thing about where we're at. Pastor Andrew has, has brought us up to Romans chapter 6, right? You guys paying attention to that? Romans chapter 6 is the sanctification chapter through 8. And that's where we're at today, right now. That's what the conference is about, the in-between conference. But the reality is, there is an already of salvation, there's a not yet of sanctification, and there's the summation, which is really, some of you guys know it as glorification. That's the timeline of being a Christian. So this morning, if you know the already, if you know the Savior, you've already experienced salvation, that's where you're at, and this is where you're at in between that reality. It's, it's progressive, it's in between, it's sanctification, and what are we, where's all this moving towards? Summation, glorification. So that's the timeline. So here's the big idea that I want to draw out. We're going to focus on verses 6 through 9 this morning. It is necessary... For disciples of Jesus Christ, living in between the already and not yet, to understand the seen reality of trials and the unseen reality of faith. That's the big idea. That's what I want to highlight. Let's move in on that a little bit. In order to move in on that, there's some big terms that we need to understand. Okay, specifically, faith and trial. We need to understand these, these two terms. So trial is the seen reality. It's what you can see with your eyes. It's what they, these first century Christians were able to see. We've been blamed for something we did not do. And people are hating us now. They're hating us even more because we've affected every area of their life if they think that is true. We're, we're burning down their cities. So this is the, the seen reality, what you can see in, of the testing in the midst of God's providential allowance of arduous outside circumstances in your life. For a quick study on that this week, some of you guys meet in life groups. Um, you may want to camp out in Ecclesiastes in these passages here, which talk about God allowing uh, the hard things in life to come into our life, but he does it for a purpose. The second definition, the second key term that we need to understand is faith. Okay, faith, in the way that Peter's talking about, is the unseen reality. You cannot see it. You cannot see faith. And it's the unseen reality specifically of trusting God's providential allowance of arduous outside circumstances in your life. Okay, so those are the key terms. We're going to be kind of going back and forth between those two. And let's draw out a few things um, from the passage itself beginning in verse 6. So number one, salvation is the occasion for our faith in the midst of our trials. You see Peter say this in verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice. Well, in what? In what? Well, we rejoice in the Father's mercy and the power in causing our salvation, the beginning, and keeping, this is the future, in heaven, and guarding it right now, the present things. That's why we can rejoice. In this, he's talking about salvation and that's why we rejoice but why do we rejoice why can we rejoice in these things because they are rooted in god's character which which is a, a, an attribute i tried to highlight this morning his uh, specifically his immutability he does not 
change. God does not change. He never changes. The Bible says it like this, in two places in particular. James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, our very Savior, it says of him, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. This is why we can rejoice. A promise that was made several thousand years ago. And, and back up way before that, the reason we, we can rejoice is because God is 100% true to his word and he will not change. And that's why we can rejoice. Salvation is the occasion of our faith. Let's look at the phrase, though now for a little while. So now we're going to draw out a couple things about some trials. Okay? So number one, trials are temporary. Okay, this is a hard one. But in light of the timeline, okay, in light of salvation, in light of that in-between sanctification, in light of summation, which is coming, they're temporary. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, later in the book, after you have suffered a little while, that's the, that's the key word, a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those are promises directly to those people that are suffering in the midst of Nero and all his things that he's doing to them. Though now for a little while, trials are necessary. So they're not only temporary, but they're necessary. Why? Let's sit on this one for a minute. This is really, really important for us to understand what God's Word says about the necessity of trials. First and foremost, trials wean us from the world and draw us closer to God. In John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Guys, I don't understand when I'm talking to other people um, who say that trials are not necessary. It's not God's will for you to suffer. And there's been a lot of writing on that. A lot of a lot of books have been written in those areas where you may, may be reading those things. Um, but we have to understand what God, God says about it. You guys understand that? It has nothing to do with Pastor Matt Silva and what he says. My word has no authority whatsoever. So if I write a book, my authority is only in what I say about the word of God. That's it. And the books that you're reading as well, if it's pointing you to the scriptures, and, and listen to me, if it's correctly interpreting scripture, not an agenda, amen. But if it's not, put it to the side and take up the word of God in its complete purity. And that's what we're trying to do this morning. I'm trying to show you that I'm not looking to anybody else but Peter and, and others that are talking about this. But Jesus himself said, um, get ready. Because there's, there's tribulation, but, but here's the cool thing. Jesus has overcome it, right? Jesus has overcome that. The second 
reason trials are necessary is because trials allow us to minister to others. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you take a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. This is an unseen reality that we, we tend to forget sometimes. But in the, the trenches of your suffering, if you're, if you're stuck in that cul-de-sac of suffering, one of the things that you're receiving from God is comfort. And that comfort that you receive from God, you in turn, during the right season and the right time, as God providentially puts someone into your life, guess what you get to do with the comfort you receive from God? You get to comfort others with the same comfort you receive from God. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's an, that's an unseen reality that's there. One of the beautiful things I get to do as I'm in the trenches with people is I get to point them to the unseen realities that have been forgotten, right? And I keep pointing them to, the, look at this, look at this angle. Trials are, are temporary, right? Look at, look at what Jesus says in John 16, 33. Trials also are going to help you to minister to others, right? And one of the things that I do when I'm meeting some, with somebody for a long time and we get to the end of it, because my goal is not to, I'm kind of a 911 ministry here at the church, but my goal is to get them back into the even flow of the church where life groups are happening, where fellowship is happening, and all the things are happening. But one of the things I do on my very last time with them is we just praise God for the comfort that God's given to him. And everybody who's, who's made it to, <laughs> that far with me has received God's comfort. And they weren't able to see it at the very beginning. So we, we look at that, and now I say, guess what you get to do? You get to go comfort others in the context of God's church, the comfort that he's given to you. Isn't that cool? So trials allow us to minister to others. They're necessary, thirdly, because trials show us the importance of God's blessings in light of, of life's hardships. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here is Paul with his seen reality of Paul actually suffering, Paul being beaten for his faith, Paul being persecuted for his faith, but he's staying the course in between the already and the not yet, and what's keeping him? What's the unseen reality for Paul? It's that I'm an heir of Jesus Christ. I'm an, I'm an heir of him. And in light of that, I'm going to be glorified with him. And this is nothing. What I'm going through right now is nothing compared to what's coming in light of eternity. Right? You know, when I was, when I was in West Sacramento, I was part of a, a church plant there. And one of my pastors, uh, Pastor Clark Crebar, who's now pastoring in Folsom, California, I love this guy because he, he loved the pulpit and he was careful with God's word, but he was out there telling people about Jesus. And I was with him because that's what I wanted to do. Right? And so we go out, and I, I never forget, 
we went into this, like West Sacramento is kind of made of different like cul-de-sacs, so you can be like in the Russian neighborhood and then walk over into the Ukrainian neighborhood just within a block, right? And then you go into a Cambodian neighborhood, and then, and then you go maybe more of a black community. But I just love the diversity of culture, and I, I love the fact that we didn't care what neighborhood we were walking into because we had something they needed. We had the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't matter what color they were or what culture they're from. We were on a mission, right? So we go in, and we go into this Cambodian culture. And they're all there, and the wives and the mothers are there, so we're talking to them, and they're like, yeah, our husbands are not here right now, you know, this and this and this. One guy just came back, one of the husbands came back, so we were talking to him. And we shared with him the gospel in its entirety. I think we talked to this guy for like an hour. And we get to the end, and Pastor Clark says to him, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this? It's demanding a response. He says, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I never forget, he, like Jesus would do, right? He picks up on the ground this little, sand, little granule of sand, right? And he's like, I want you to look as far as you can that way. What can you see? And at that time, it was McDonald's. It was like maybe a mile away, right? He's like, okay, so McDonald's. That's your destination. That's, that's where you're going, right? I'm telling you right now that what we just share with you is so very, very important it's just like this grain of sand, and everything that you're going to do with what we just told you is going to de- depend on where you go that way. And this guy, he broke down in tears, and I wish I would have said, man, he came to the God, he came to know Jesus Christ. No, he didn't. He didn't. He wanted what we had, but there was something that was holding him back. And we didn't find out until two hours later, and you know what it was? Him and his crew had just been selling drugs by a school, and the FBI, or the drug, DEA, they came in and they bombarded this Cambodian community. They took all the men out. They just, they just took them, right? And so they were getting dinged for, for selling drugs, number one, but being close to a school, number two, and they were getting buried. So this guy could call anybody he wanted to, and guess who he called? Us. We went down to the jail, talked to him. This guy gave, gave his life to Christ, right? That's the reality of... Whatever you're going through right now, as far as your suffering, in light of the timeline of eternity, everything that we're doing right now, God's moving us as individuals and as a church to a certain, he has certain objectives and what he's doing. And we can't get caught up because here's the danger, we're worshipers. And if we're not worshiping God, we may worship something else. And so we may be caught up on an agenda, right? I need to do this for the name of Jesus, but... Jesus is not being proclaimed. You're not talking about Jesus. People aren't coming to Christ because you're not talking about Jesus. You're not really fired up about that. You're fired up about the cause. We cannot be about that here. We have to dig our heels in deep into this community, and we have to be about Jesus Christ and making him known to all people. And we can't, and when a brother and sister is going astray from that, we have to pull them back gently and say, no, that's important, but this is what's important right now. This, this gospel that we're talking about. This is why we're here. Fourthly, trials are necessary because they're used by God as a form of discipline. Now, this one's hard whenever you say that word, right? Discipline. It's not hard when you consider God's character. It's not hard when you consider God's great love for you. It's not hard when it says, for instance, in this passage, in Hebrews chapter 12, that... Um, 
our fathers try to discipline us here on, on this side of heaven, and they don't do the best job at it. But God is not like that. The reason why our fathers reach out and try to discipline us is because they love us. Otherwise, they wouldn't discipline you. Never forget that if you're, if you're a child in here. That the moment they stop trying to help you with the, the, the trouble that you're getting into, the moment they stop with that discipline is the moment they don't care. Okay? So God does never, he never ever comes to a point with his children where he doesn't care for us. So if trials become an occasion for us to walk by the flesh, which they can very easily, God will use that trial to draw us back to himself lovingly through discipline. So that's another reason. Let's look at a fifth one. Trials help us to become more like Christ. Romans 8, 28. All of you know that one. You should. What does it say? God causes all things to work together for those who are called. Those who love God, right? All things. Okay, just keep that in mind. All things. That includes the tough things that are coming at us, and that includes the, the things that we like. All of it. God causes all things. But why? Why? Read verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And I, I, I underline it just for emphasis. To be conformed to the image of his son. This is God peeling back a very mysterious thing in light of trials. And what he's saying is, pay attention to yourself in the midst of a trial. Why? Because I'm using that very trial to conform you into the image of my son. Right? And I hear this, this verse all the time, right? God causes all things to work together for our good, and I'm just... Uh, I'm like the, uh, the elbow in the body sometimes, you know, the body of Christ. I say, well, what's the good? What is the good? Is the good necessarily for the evil, or the evil or whatever to go away? Is that the good? It can be. God can intervene any time. But is there, is there something else? And one thing I rarely hear is this idea that God is conforming us into his son. Okay, so let's put some feet on that. What's Jesus like? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, talks about love. That's Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 talks about what it means to walk by the Spirit. That's Jesus. So when trials are coming, if we can begin to take that unseen reality, and whatever it is, and we've been hit with some hard stuff, if we can keep in mind, if we can start, begin to start asking questions like, how can I be more loving? How can I be more patient? How can I be more kind? Why would I ask these things? Because I'm in tune with what God is doing in and through those things. And he's conforming me into the image of his son. And if he's conforming me into the image of my son, I have to ask, how can I be more loving? Because that's what Jesus is. Right? So trials help us to become more like Christ. 
Trials also may be the occasion for grief. And this is it's seen here in the passage. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. Now, this is a word that I've kind of come to, to know from my friend who's coming here, Dr. Ellen, this week. And one of the things he taught me is the six categories of sorrow. And, and what he did was he just drew it out from the scripture. Well, one of those categories, according to him, I just quoted him, is called common sorrow. And common sorrow is a sadness of soul due to one experiencing the disappointments of life, the difficulties of life, or the death of, of a loved one. And common sorrows, it's neutral. It's not sinful to have this kind of sorrow. You see, Jesus himself had this kind of sorrow when his friend died in John chapter 11, right? When his friend died, Jesus, Jesus wept over uh, Jerusalem. So this is the common sorrow, but, the, the, but trials may be an occasion for this type of grief. Okay, that's what Peter is saying right here. But trials are also multifaceted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's five promises in here for the Christian, okay, for those who have been born again. And I'm going to challenge you guys at the very end of this sermon to, to do an exercise this week with the Word of God. And this is one of the, the verses you probably want to get in your memory box. Five promises right there. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And here's what I want to highlight. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Okay? So we forget that. Whenever we're going through trials, our first thought is escape. That's just part of being human, right? Just get me out of it. But with that idea, I mean, you see Jesus doing that in John chapter 12. He says, Father, what, what shall I say? That this cup be removed from me? That this wrath that's coming may be removed? Jesus says the second Adam is experiencing a temptation to escape, right? But Jesus says, but for this purpose, I have come, Father, glorify your name, okay? So Jesus took a trial that was hard, <laughs> talk about a hard trial, but how did he counter it? He's showing us. But, it's the divine conjunction. I love but in the Bible, right? But, for this purpose. What's the purpose? Jesus knew that he came to die. Jesus knew that he, he came to be buried. Jesus knew he was going to be raised to life again. Jesus knew that he, he would be enthroned on high again. He had ascend back up to heaven again with his father. And this is what kept Jesus going, like Luke chapter 9 says, that when Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, he's resolutely setting his face towards Jerusalem. He's not sidestepping it. He is lasered in on it because that's what he came to do, right? So this idea that God's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, here's what I'm trying to say, is God knows you intimately. He knows your heart. He knows what you can handle, right? He knows that you can handle. Someone said to me one time, he was a youth kid when I was up the hill, he says, you must not like, uh, you know, whenever I talk about demons and all these types of things, you kind of go away from it. And I'm like, I'm not going to give him any credit, any credit due. I'm, the, I'm the, the kid in the storm. When lightning's hitting the house, where do I go? I go into my parents' room because I'm safe there, right? I don't go out into the storm and be like, hey, what's up? You know, no, no. I do the same thing when it comes to the demonic, right? I, I just run to my father, right? I resist him that way. Why? 
What are you going to do to me that God won't allow you to do? So I trust in him, right? So he's not going to tempt you beyond your ability. And secondly, I want to draw out of this passage that he will provide the way of escape. The definite article is there for a reason. The, because it's not a way of escape. It's not like there's hundred ways to escape, but God knows you so very well that not only won't he, will he not test you beyond your ability, but he'll provide the way of escape every single time. Isn't that cool? So trials are multifaceted. Secondly, testing is the objective of our faith so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So trials test the genuineness of our faith. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 and 14 is a passage that's talking about the judgment of the believer. Okay, this is not a judgment that's going to come in the sense of great white throne judgment. This is judgment where God, God's going to hold you accountable for the things that he's given you to do on this side of heaven. And this is what it says. Each one's work will be become manifest... For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one of you has done. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Okay? Uh, feet on this. Crosspoint Church. We need to be about the things of Jesus Christ and what he says. Okay? Because everything that we're about that's not that, at this judgment seat of Christ... It'll be burned up. Let's focus our energy on doing what God's calling us to do as a church. So trials test the genuineness of our faith. Um, but also, the revelation of Jesus Christ will reveal the obeisance of our faith in the midst of our trials. Okay, this is just a, a pastor being desperate for an O, right? But obeisance means praise, Okay. <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Obeisance, praise. It's going to test the praise. Now, when I think of the praise and revelation of Jesus Christ, what I think about is, is Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, where it says um, that we are, we are to give glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ because of who he is. But here it's different. And I had to check, like, I'm not kidding, I checked like 20 tested commentaries of people that I know and respect that are careful with God's word from every persuasion, from my Pentecostal friend Gordon Fee to my other friend John MacArthur, right? All, in everything in between. And you know what they all said? They all said the same thing, that this is saying that there is some aspect, and I don't understand it, where we will receive praise from Jesus. What? Now, the reverence in you should be, but no way, no. But remember I told you, if, if it's being taught, and it's being taught clearly in Scripture, everybody will see the same thing. That's, that's one thing you learn when you're studying the Word. It's not a new thing. It's been there the whole time since Peter wrote it, but may, it may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll be rewarded for our faith, right? That's why we can get pumped up. And number four that I want to draw out of 1 Peter, is Jesus is the object of our faith in the midst of trials. Though you have not seen him, Peter says, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So is Peter recalling that time when he was in, with Jesus in John chapter 20, 
Verse 29, where Jesus says, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us, you guys. Now, if you've seen Jesus, you must be really, really, really important. (laughs) Um, I have not. I haven't seen the resurrected Christ, nor has he spoken audibly to me, right? Uh, I'd probably cut my throat if he did that. It'd be so scary. I wouldn't be talking to you in a Bible study with a smile on my face. Oh, I talked to Jesus this morning. No, you didn't. Read his word. That's as close as you're getting to it right now, right? But here's, here's the idea. We are the ones that have not seen Christ. Peter had seen him, but he's writing to people who had not seen him. So trials keep us focused on this person. Trials keep us focused on the author and perfecter of our faith. And trials may be an occasion for deep-rooted joy. And that's why uh, Pastor Jim read this morning, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. So think of that in light of what we just learned in 1 Peter. That's why we can count it all joy. That's why we can say that. So lastly, summation is the outcome of our faith in the midst of trials. And Peter says it like this, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One of my favorite passages on the gospel when I'm explaining it is Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, two verses 1 to 3. Because that person, the Apostle Paul, is not mixing words for who we are without Christ. Right? Some of us just think, well, I'm basically, a, you know, there's people actually out there that believe this, that if, as long as I'm 51% good, I'm okay. Right? As long as I'm a good person, I'm all right. But if you read the Scriptures, we're not okay. We're not even close to being okay. You can't, you can't tell a dead man to read this card and come back to life, right? You can't tell him to raise their hand and come back to life. You need God's intervention. You need God intervening, stepping in. You need a full heart transformation. And when you see the darkness of your own heart, without Christ, without any intervention from God, when you see that, what are you left with? Psalm 88, where the guy's just in the pit of despair, and he's crying out to God. He said, where are you? It's like the wrath is hitting me over and over and over again. There's no hope in Psalm 88. And when you understand your heart, that it's not that I'm just a little bit wicked. It's like, I am, I've been born into this, and my, my master is the devil, and I'm, I'm being led by him. He's my commanding officer. And everything that I'm doing at the heart level is geared towards the passions of chasing after him. But then God's word says, but God. That's your memory verse for the week. Encouraged? But God, that's it. Why is that so important? But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead, what did he do? He made us alive 
Are we excited about that? I mean, seriously. I find myself, when I was a Kings fan and they were winning, like in Sacramento, I was more excited about the Kings, and we talk about the Kings all the time, you know, oh, they're awesome. Oh, they got this trade, this new guy just came, you know, and I knew them like I knew the apostles. But I think we need to, this morning, in light of everything that's going on around us, could we leave here today having that excitement that we've been born again to the living hope? of Jesus Christ? Can we leave here today with the, this idea that but God, he intervened, he stepped into human history, and he saved you. And why did he do that? Because he's rich in mercy. And that's why everything is moving towards summation. That's where we're going. We're going to glorification. That's where God is bringing us. But now, if necessary, temporarily we have to go through some things so here's what i would say be balanced pray for it to go away whatever you're going through i I encourage that pray for that to go away that's what paul did with this thorn i prayed three times that the thorn would go away but it didn't so what are you going to do if it doesn't go away pray Oh, oh 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 look what paul did i love it paul says okay This is not going away, so here's what I'm going to do. His grace is sufficient. That's an unseen reality. That when I'm weak, he is strong. That's an unseen reality. So Paul began to start praying in that direction, right? And what would happen if Crosspoint Community Church just started praying in that direction, right? Take it away. But if not, you're still on, on high. You still have purposes for, for everything that's coming into my life. You're the, the object of my faith, I rejoice with joy that's inexpressible, filled with glory. The outcome of my soul is, is, is the outcome of this thing is glorification. But now, I'm going to be about Jesus Christ and making him known in every area of my life, wherever I'm at. Beginning in the home, in the workplace, with my neighbor, with a visitor from church. I'm all about Jesus Christ. That's what I'm about. And I'll say to you today, if you've come here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, thank you for coming. Like, really, thank you for coming. I have something you need. Eternal life. And I can show you how to get it. So if you're that person, I'm going to take time. Look, I've got these little little books, which is just the Gospel of Luke. I want to give one to you this morning. So I'll hang around for that. So let's make the connection real quick. I've been kind of showing you the ins and outs of the seen reality versus the unseen reality. Well, here's a couple verses where, the, where you can see it done. Psalm 27:10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will, make me, will, uh, will take me in. So what's the seen reality? This psalmist, his father and mother had forsaken him. What's the unseen reality? The Lord will take me in. Right? The Lord will do this. John 16, 32, which we read 33, but what comes before that? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Loneliness, we experience that all the time. Jesus experienced that. His unseen reality was the Father is always with me. And you know what your unseen reality is if you know the Father through the Son? The Father is always with you too. 
So the idea here is you've you got to move a place to a place in your own mind, right? That's part of your heart, where you're allowing the Word of God, the unseen reality, to permeate and to control the seen reality. It's, this is not easy, okay? It's not easy. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to do this this week, okay? So here, here's my making the connection for you. What is your seen reality this morning? What are you going through? What trials are you currently going through right now? Right here, right now. So this morning, you can start by getting a piece of paper, and you can make a little T-chart, right? T, and on the one side, you can put the scene reality, and just spend a little time with that. I know you've already been doing it already, but put it down on paper so that you can see it, right? What are you dealing with right now that people can see? And then, on the other side, your unseen reality. What unseen reality do you need to cling to with all your heart today? So I've gotten you started on this with, with Peter's words to his people that are suffering. And there's tons of promises. There's tons of things about trials in here. You begin to put those down on that other side, right? And now, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're doing what Paul did in his trials when he says, I take every thought captive and make it obedient to God, his word. That's what you're doing, right? So, again, life groups, this is a good assignment. So, so write down your seen reality, whatever that is, and then put eight to ten promises from God's word down next to it, right? And try, try to be thinking about those things. Like Paul said, right? Whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's honorable, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, think about those things. You know, the unseen reality that we get from God's word, it's true, it's praiseworthy, it's excellent, and we think upon these things, right? And when we do that, we begin to allow the, the unseen reality of God's word to permeate our own hearts, and we're more inclined to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh, gratifying its desires. Okay, so that's my challenge to you this morning as a church. So I'm just going to now... I'm going to pray, and I want to extend an invitation. If you do not know Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm serious. You're here because God has you here, and I want to talk to you. My whole entire life on this side of heaven is about bringing people to Jesus Christ, and if you want to give me the great joy of, of coming to know him this morning, come up and talk to us. The chaplains are going to come up right now. They can come up. Um, you'll see them up here as well. If you have prayer, if you need prayer, that's what they're here to do. Okay, They pray for you. They, they'll give you the comfort that they've received from God. That's what they do. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word addresses all the ins and outs of the life that we live in. It doesn't water anything down. It doesn't water down our trials and say that they're not hard. In fact, it, it says that they are hard. But your word brings hope. Your word is filled with truth. We can walk by the Spirit. Lord, and we do that as we meditate on your word day and night and seek to do what it says through your power. And Lord, when we do that, we will receive the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's not conditioned on what's going on on the outside with our circumstances. That's conditioned based on the heart response that we have towards the circumstances as we seek to love you with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love others as ourselves. 
So Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray.